HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And on today's episode, we have Guillaume Dupont, Export Manager of Maison Agur, based in the Basque Country of Spain. He's on the program today to help us learn more about the Basque gastronomic culture relating to the worlds of Asolrati, Petit and Bayon Ham. Guillaume, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Uh, how's everything doing in the Basque country? Because I'm lucky to have you from afar. Yes, very well. Everything's very good. Everything's very good. We're in the middle of milking season. Uh, weather is looking bright and warm. Very good here. Ah, so your spring is starting, actually. Well, it shouldn't actually. It's supposed <laughs> to be the rainiest part of the year, but it's actually pretty dry at the moment. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, that's good. You know, that's the funny thing. I always think of rain in the Basque Country, but um, I'm glad you're getting a little sunlight. Um, <laughs> so cool. You know, I'm only starting to learn about Agor. You know, I've only heard about them for the last few years, and I've always enjoyed a Soarati. But um, could you, for the listeners, uh, briefly explain what you do for Maison Agor? Yeah. Totally. Uh, so Maison Agor is uh, one of the largest family dairies in the Basque Country, and I'm um, I'm basically in charge of all the export sales for the company. So everything that's outside of France um, will go through me when it's uh, sales related. Cool. And so Maison Agor is considered a producer. It's not an exporter. It's just no. a producer, right? No, exactly. We we actually collect milk, make cheese with it, age cheese, and we do sell our own cheese all over the world. Cool, cool, cool. And how many different cheeses are there now that you guys are, are you know selling? At least in the U.S., I like to narrow it down because I know it can be sold internationally around Europe. And yeah. uh, but in the U.S., how many cheeses are you selling? So most of what we're selling is the PDO or Soirati. Um, which is a press-based um, sheep's milk uh, cheese. Uh, that's that's probably seventy-five percent of the of, of the cheeses that we sell in the U.S. Um, the rest being using the same technology, but with different sizes, different shapes, and different aging profiles. Cool, cool. And a Sorati, it like you said, it's a sheep's milk cheese. It's yes. it's one of the ones that I'm like always in cheese shops. I see it, and I'm, I gravitate towards because it's one of the 
easiest to like sheep's milk cheeses. Um, why do you think it's so special? Um, why, why is it so approachable, do you think? You're, you're, you're right in saying that I've heard many, many people and many cheesemongers that were saying that Osoyarati was the cheese that made them fall in love with cheese. Um, I think one of the reasons about it is that it's so well balanced between being not too strong, but strong enough, delicate, having a depth of flavor that's that's pretty much unique, very sweet. The texture is very easy to like. It's a crowd pleaser, but it's also a very um, delicate, sort of fragrant cheese. It's like every bite will tell a different story. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, you nailed it. I think that's exactly what it is. And um, I want to actually dive into some of the history and, and hopefully you can help me with this because I, I tried to do my research before. But <laughs> um, so one of the cool things I was realizing is that um, as an AOC um, protected product from 1980, um, it's one of three sheep's milk cheeses that were protected. The other two were Roquefort and uh, Brochu, yes. which yes. is very cool. Uh, but then I realized looking at the AOP standard, it can be pasteurized. Is that yes. is that correct? <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Um, and that's actually some, that's that's a topic I've been talking about to most of my customers and a lot of the cheesemongers around the world as well. There's, there's always that um, label that people love to put on cheeses that is, that's a raw meal cheese. So it's got to be better, um, which is true to some extent and, and for some cheese types, mostly soft paste and uh, bloomy rinds. Um, in the case of Osoyarati, raw milk Osoyarati and a pasteurized one are just two different cheeses with two pretty different flavor profiles and different texture profiles as well. Gotcha, gotcha. And in the U.S., we're getting the AOP pasteurized version, correct? Pasteurized, yes, pasteurized. There's, there's quite a high risk of um, being flagged, red flagged by yep. the authorities. Um, the reason being that Osoyarati has to have a natural rind and some of the bacteria we're trying to avoid um, do like natural rinds that like to bloom when they're shipped in cartons for weeks throughout the Atlantic. So we, we try not to take that risk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Um... Working in a similar business, I totally understand. I always wish for like at least a thermalized milk product one day, yeah. but I, I understand it's it's really tough, um, and it, it is still a great cheese as a pasteurized cheese. So I totally. I applaud you for for making it work the best you can. Totally, there's there's also two things that we can do with pasteurized uh, milk that we would not do with raw milk. We do produce about twenty five percent of our soyaratis with raw milk. Um, there's two things about them. Uh, the texture of, of raw milk will always be a little drier. And, and we find that the pasteurized version has like a softer texture, which is nicer in mouth. Um, but also the raw milk evolves really quickly. So after five, six months, it starts to be a bit aggressive and it loses its complexity. Whereas our pasteurized version, we age up to 17 months here. Um, and it, just adds up to that sweetness, that nuttiness of the product without the aggressivity, which is really interesting. 
Oh, that that is very interesting that it's it's more helpful being pasteurized in that way for the shelf life and um, the yes. evolution of it. That's it, cool. It, exactly, exactly. And the raw milk product has got a very rustic profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so if your palate is not used to very strong, very spicy, very aggressive types of um, of, of cheeses, then then the pasteurized version is probably a better option. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I, I like that point. Um, so actually, I want to segue now to the milk because – um, I understand that's also very particular and special. Can you tell us about yes. like the breeds of the sheep and, and what, what's going on uh, with the milk? Absolutely, because that's central to, to why Osoyorati is special and different from um, similar types of cheeses that will be made in other regions uh, of France and Europe. Um, and I'm thinking also about um, sheep's milk, Spanish cheeses that are made differently. Um, it's well. We can start with the territory and how it looks. Um, the Basque Country starts on the ocean shore of of the Atlantic. It's the corner of Spain and France, and the, the Basque Country um, basically crosses the border between the two countries. Actually, it's called the Basque Country because it's it's its own country, its own um, territory with um, culture, unicity, and 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 its own language. But also the landscape is just one of the greenest places you'll find in Europe. Just because of that landscape between ocean and mountains, it's, all, it's also the tip of the Pyrenees. Um, the humidity from the ocean just gathers up on those mountains and it, it, makes, it makes it one of the rainiest places in Europe. Um, it, it, rain, it rains more than it does in the UK. It rains more than it does in Northern Europe. And hence that that place is just so green. It's very hilly and it's, uh, it's the, the soil is clay. So it's not really good for crops. We can't mm. really grow anything here efficiently. So most of what farmers do here is raise animals. And because it's hilly, sheep just evolve better in this type of environment. Uh, so historically, we've, we've, we've been herding sheep here for, for thousands and thousands of years. Um, the sheeps that we're using are very well adapted to um, to a hilly landscape. It's very steep. Um, it's it's there's not really any flat surfaces. Um, so you need the type of sheep of sheep that's actually used to uh, to use to to this type of territory. Uh, we have three breeds that we use for Osoyati. Um, two of them are called the Manesh. Mm. One's got the red head without horns and one's got the black head with the big uh, twisty horns oh, i've seen that on online that's very cool exactly. i've seen that photo. it's, it's yeah. actually on the wheel of Osoyahati. you have imprinted on the rind the head of one of those sheep. so they're they're the most rustic the most traditional and the most ancient breed that we use the third one be, is called basco bernes and it's used on the eastern side of the PDO zone, which is um, uh, neighboring the Béarn region. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yes. So These are the only three breeds that people can use mm-hmm. to make Osoyati. Wow. So it's very distinct. very di- And I like that it's on the label. Like I was staring at, the, um, <laughs> at your sticker and I was like, wait, is that the head of a sheep on the rind right there? Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, where it, that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. The milk that is produced by those three breed of sheep, yeah, is very rich, very very high in protein, very very high in fat. Um, 
but they don't make a lot. Oh, sure. It, they don't yeah. make a lot of milk. So it's just in liters, that would be between a liter to a liter 20 a day throughout two milking uh, moments. So what, six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the afternoon, milked twice a day. The total would be, would be a liter to a liter 20, which means one sheep across a whole campaign of milking, which doesn't last the whole year, be six to eight months every year, would, would make produce just under 300 liters um, per, per campaign. Wow. And um, um, I was thinking, like, how many sheep does each herd have then? Because, again, it's, it, the volume's not so much. No, the volume's not so much. Um, they're very small herds. They're very small farms, um, usually family-run, uh, mm-hmm. inherited from their parents, from their grandparents, from their great-grandparents. Um, it, it's hard to manage a, a high amount of sheep in such a territory that we have because it's hilly it's even up up in the mountains and the further east you go the higher the mountains um in most mountain regions herd would the head count would be about 200 to 250 oh wow okay um and if you go down to the plains the the larger farms would be 600 heads oh wow that's that's a lot of fun to manage i bet <laughs> yeah no, but that's that's why we have to work with so many different farms because one farm doesn't would would not amount for a lot. If you two hundred um, two hundred sheep would make three hundred liters each, uh, you'd have six thousand liters. Um, we need five to six liters to make a kilo of cheese, so the the ratio is six to one. You you would not be able to make a lot of cheese cheese with um with just one farm. Yeah. No, 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 that's, that's pretty difficult. Um, and I was going to ask you, you were saying the grasses as well are very distinct. It has like yes. a lot of natural uh, flowers or certain minerals in it that you look Definitely. out for too. Definitely. And for, for several reasons, the, the first one being the climate, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very humid. It's very wet. It rains a lot. So the, the grass grows really, really fast. Like you have, you mow your lawn here every, every, every week during, <laughs> during summer. It's a nightmare, but, uh, because it's never too cold in winter. Like we, we have days above, above 15 degrees Celsius at the moment. Um, the grass grows all year round. So it keeps growing in winter. Um, which makes for like a really, really rich paddocks and really rich uh, pastures. Um, but also because part of the Osora TPDO um, book of rules that you have to follow, um, the natural cycle of uh, milking and lambing and reproduction of sheep has to be respected. Um, so the campaign doesn't last all year round. It's uh, we can only collect milk from early December to the end of July, knowing that a sheep would produce for six months, um, and the rest of the year there will be left free uh, in the mountains eating whatever's up there. Oh, so you have um, the transhumanants as well yes, in this. We have okay. we have transhumance um, during which the sheep would go up in the mountains. They will mix together and the shepherds or sometimes the farmer will go up and um, live in that little cabin in the mountains and stay with the sheep where they can still milk, but only to make cheese up there in the mountains. 
So if you get, if you get to travel to to the Basque Country, mm-hmm. try and look for cheese that's made during that time because it's very hard to find outside of the Basque Country. It's very oh. very little volumes. Um, but but the shepherds would be allowed be like be, be, be able to do five six up to ten for the biggest herds uh, wheels a day uh, for a, for a few weeks in uh, in summer. Oh, that's that's very cool. I will. I'll have to look next time I'm out there. I'll have to look for <laughs> yeah. that. That's very cool. Um, and then for the creameries, it's it's two facilities, or is it just one facility making the osorati? Um, so f- just for Ago, just for Ago, it's two. Okay. Uh, our main site, which is our, our original site, um, built in 1981, um, where we make all um, all the larger volumes, all the larger lines. And then we have a small site that's built up in the mountains, actually in the Irati Valley. Uh, it's the only cheese-making facility in the Irati Valley now. Um, and the Irati Valley make... is like a forest I was reading online? That's like a, that's that's that part, or it's, am I making that it's up? The, it's the largest beach forest in Europe. Cool. Um, it's very protected, and it's one of the birthplace of Oso Irati. So Oso is a valley in Béarn, in the eastern part of the zone. And Irati is that forest, that valley um, in the Basque Country, up, up in... Um, up, up in the Pyrenees, and it's on the border between Spain and France uh, right now. Cool. That's very cool. So it's a very special place, and some yeah. some smaller batch cheeses are made there, you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Some smaller batch cheeses, because it's like it's a six-people-run facility. Most of the work's done with their hands, um, like flipping wheels, pressing cheese. Um, we, we we can make small batches there. And so for us, it's it's a place where we can make one of our most special cheese that's um, a single breed, also Irati, which we make with the black sheep, the black head manesh. We only use milk from that very sheep because it's the most rustic and the, the one that produces the least amount of milk. Okay. Um, but it's also the richest milk. But because it produces a little less, farmers were starting to turn around and say like, well, I want to use the other breeds because they make more, <laughs> make more money. Yeah. yeah, they have to have some business. They have to make some more cheese. <laughs> and that's it. So we're like, okay, we're going to pay you more for milk from Blackhead Manesh if you're able to supply us with full tanks of Blackhead Manesh milk, then we're going to make a cheese out of it. Got it, got it. And the and the super special cheeses that you're making at the smaller creamery uh, are like which which cheeses? Just to name a few, so we can look, next time we're in Spain or in Basque Country, we yeah, can look for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So we do a drain little, like it's a drain paste little sort of tiny tiny betmal that we do with sheep's milk. That's called Arpea. Okay. The Arpea is um, one of the most surprising cheeses that I've, I've ever had to taste it's it's unlike any others it was actually invented through a mistake we were trying to look for new cheese recipes and i mean this was one of the trials and like this is not what we're looking for but we're gonna keep that (laughs) yep i love that (laughs) Um, and like it's really sweet i compare it to like a cloud of sheep's milk like it's sweet it's fragrant you can you can taste the pasture the mountains and it's it's really really special it doesn't travel that well so some distributors in the u.s actually take the risk to import it just oh so it is coming to the u.s that cheese it, it is it is okay. I, I wouldn't exactly know which shop you could you could get it at but sure 
that's any information I can get. Yeah. Um, but but it's a risk to take because it, it doesn't it doesn't travel that well. Um, we also make a, a, a cheese. It's a soft paste. It's basically a sheep's milk brie that took the name of uh, a chapel that's up there in a mountain called uh, called uh, Saint Sauveur. Okay. So technically, a sheep's milk brie is very mild, very soft, um, and it, it it's just very fresh. Like it's perfect for warm days, summer, and um, like when you're not really looking for raclette, but the other, yeah, the other yeah. <laughs> something a little tamer, a little less heavy. I get you. Exactly, exactly. And we also make a sheep's milk crottin that we call picora. The picora is exactly the same technology as a goat's milk crottin um, with sheep's milk. Oh, lovely. So That's... it's softer and um, lighter than a goat's milk crottin. No, not as much acidity. It's very sweet. Um, it's only 80 grams, but it's, I, I call it a one portion cheese. Like it's, it's one for one person. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, a curtain is a, the size of a little nugget basically. So exactly, I, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I do want to ask you then, um, about another cheese that's not made in that, uh, very small creamery on, yes. in the forest, but I, I would like to ask you about Petit de Gour which is yes. um, a smaller cheese tome that we've had a conversation about at Fancy Food in Vegas. You were telling me, yeah. um, but can you tell the listeners why it exists and, and what's special yes. about it? So I, I know Soyerati would be either 10 pounds or 5 pounds. These are the two different formats you're allowed to make. Um, technically, they've, they've given us two formats because um, it's one way to control the how they age through time mm-hmm. because the size is very important to age the aging process. Um, and that's, that's what farmers used to sell. So when, after milking the sheep, basically after every time after you have, you've milked the sheep, you have to start making cheese right away because there was no pasteurization, no thermization back in the days. You'd had to process it straight away. That's, that's why cheese was invented just to, to um, preserve milk. Mm-hmm. So the size, the size of, um, of, of cheese that they were selling at the market were either the five pound wheel or the 10 pound wheel, but you can't control the amount of milk that you've just had twice a day. So after you've produced that many amount of 10 pound or five pound wheel, you always had a little bit of leftover, which the farmers were using for their own consumption. And that they usually end up being like a one and a half to two ounces, um, the two, two pounds um, type of wheel. So it's a very small wheel um, that they would use for their own consumption. Ah. So we've decided to make a product out of it. Yeah. I, and I, I love that it's like this little drum. Um, exactly. That, you know, like, um, I guess the closest, uh, it's not the same cheese at all, but the same size format would be Tête de Moines. Um, yes. so I actually had, does it work on a Girol as well? If you wanted to use it on there or is it, uh, how, how do you serve this cheese? Um, there are many ways to, to serve this cheese. You can cut in half in cut in quarters, cut in eighth. Uh, you can slice it sideways, sideways. So you have like little rounds or half moons. Um, and the Girol works as well. Um, it, 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 don't tell the Swiss I, I told you that, but yeah, you can use the Giro. <laughs> we'll have to hide from them. You know, they'll, they'll look for me and you later, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we make it. But um, 
no, I, I'm, I'm glad that um, the cheese exists. I, you know, I was also looking at that label and just uh, yeah. correct me if this is from another company or not, but I think it's on your, your label. There was Artie Gazna. And, uh, yeah, and I wanted to know, what does that mean? Because I've seen that written on the label before, and I, I was so, curious what it meant. Gashna means cheese in Basque, and Ardi means sheep. So ah. it means sheep's milk cheese. Simple as that then. Okay, cool. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, that's. I'm going to also quiz you about um, another thing on the Asoarati label. There's a bunch of... Uh, Oscar, is that the language uh, to say from the basket? Oscar, yeah. And I was wondering, like, what is the saying on on your label? Do you know? Could you translate it for us? Because I, I, I it's a, looks like a lot of fun letters together, and I'm like, well, this is obviously <laughs> another language, and I'm curious what it says. So yes, um, so it's part of uh, the mission of our company in, uh, at Agor. Um, is to help preserve and promote the Basque language. It's actually part of our company policy. Um, and everything and that we do and everything that we communicate, if you jump on LinkedIn, if you jump on our Instagram, everything will be bilingual. At oh, minimum cool. would be Basque and French or Basque and English, Basque and Spain. But the Basque is the common denominator, denominator to, to everything. That's how we communicate. I'd say over half of the people inside the company, in the offices or in, in the manufacturing um, area will speak Basque as well as a native language. Oh, cool. So um, obviously you speak the language and um, uh, maybe some people at Interval. Does anyone at Interval, the uh, group that you work with to help import? No, we don't have any Basque native people here. Oh, um, man. I, I, I'd we, wanted I to throw a joke out there. there. <laughs> we don't. And I'd say about 50 people, 50% of people here at Agur do mm-hmm. speak the language. Um, and, and 50% don't. And I'm part of that 50%. I'm ashamed to, I'm ashamed to say. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I, only, only know, I only know a few words and a few phrases. It's, it's still very impressive. I know it's, uh, it's, it's really limited to that area, so it's very special, like the cheeses. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. Well, you know, I just want to take a quick break. Uh, we'll just have a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
All right, welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with Guillaume Dupont of Maison Agour, which is famous for their Soarati cheese and uh, Bayonne ham, actually. We should get, we should start <laughs> gravitating towards the ham because okay. I've seen it. I've seen it around the shows. I've seen it in the shops. Um, what, can you describe what Bayonne ham is? Because uh, I, 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 I feel like I won't do the justice. I won't do it justice. So what no. is Bayonne ham? <laughs> no problem. Um, just just like cheese was invented to preserve milk, cured hams were invented to preserve meat. Um, Bayon ham is our local PGI, so protected geographic indication. It's our local recipe of cured ham made in the southwest of France uh, around the Adour River, which jumps in the ocean in Bayonne. Um, so it's a leg of it's, it's it's a leg of pork that's been preserved in uh, salt. Got it, got it, got it. And it the, is it made with a special breed of pig, and does it have a special diet as well? Um, yes. So the Bayonham is a PGI, so a protective name, uh, and it's made with PGI ingredients as well. So the first PGI ingredient that we use is the pork meat, which is a PGI southwest of France uh, pork meat. We use uh, Duroc uh, breed pigs, um, which is quite quite a small uh, breed of pigs that grow really well here. They, they we do grow a lot of um, corn in in the region, and 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 most of what they they eat um, is uh, is grain. So they they grain fed pork by opposition to to the acorn fed uh, Iberian pig. Um, they yeah. are uh, yeah. So that's a PGI meat that we use. So it's made in the region. Uh, there's a certain set of rules to make it. Uh, you're looking for color, you're looking to fat content, you're looking to a certain diet, uh, certain breeds and a certain region as well. Uh, so that's the only uh, meat that you're allowed to use to make by on hump. And we do use another PGI ingredient, which is the salt. The oh. salt is as special as the meat that we use. It's a spring salt. So a few million years ago, there used to be a notion where we actually live. Um, There's no ocean here anymore, but the salt stayed underground. So under the Pyrenees, you have um, salt that's left over from uh, from the ocean. And springs actually run on those um, salt veins that are under the mountains, which we get from 80 meters underground. A spring that's three times as salty as uh, seawater. Oh, wow. However, the salt that we get out of it completely naturally through evaporation from the sun, there's no treatment, it's not whitened or anything. The salt is not as salty as um, sea salt. And that's one of the reasons why Bayon ham is so uh, delicate, so fruity. And not as salty as other types of uh, cured meats. Oh wow! Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, so you have this amazing salt that's working its way. It's curing it. Um, how long is it cured for? What's what's the normal amount of time for a ham like this? So the minimum would be nine months. Cool. There's a there's a first step where you actually salt uh, the meat, so it's left there for ten to fifteen days. Then it goes on to maturation which is still in a cold area pretty pretty humid we don't want to lose too much humidity at that point 
which would be three to four months. And then we goes on to goes on to drying and drying would be a minimum of uh, five months up to we can age it up to 21, 24 months. Okay. Okay. So it, yeah, that's a, a good amount of time. Um, and, and then when it comes to it, is there like a, a good way to cut this kind of ham? Um, the, the, well, the traditional, the traditional bone in ham would be cut sideways, just like we can see, um, the, the, the Spanish do with, uh, Iberico or, um, or the Italians do with San Daniele, when you have that whole leg on the stand and you have that long knife that, um, Cortador used to, to cut little slices out of it. So that's one way. And that's the, the most traditional way to do it. We do now make deboned ham and especially for, for, for exports uh, reason where there's a lot of countries where we allow to export the ham, but not, not the bone. Mm. Um, so that will go through the slicer. Got it. Got it. Got it. So um, are you an expert at cutting it by hand now? Or are you, I, I, I like doing it myself. I have, become, <laughs> I have become an expert because that's one of the ways we actually do trade shows, expos, and we can do it um, in certain shops as well. Um, I, still, to me, it's one of the best ways to taste uh, to taste the, the ham because it's just the product as it is, untouched, unprocessed. At the moment you start removing the bone, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a gentle process mm. and it starts changing the texture of the meat. And so as, as much as, as possible, try and taste the ham untouched which means bone in as it is out of the bone. Um, then you can move on to um, the deboned leg out of the meat slicer. And I mean, we do some pre-slice as well, um, which, which is not to my, to, to my sense, the, the best way to, to taste it. It's the most convenient way to taste it. And it's the most convenient way to get people around you to taste it as well. Um, but I feel that you lose, even if you all get, you get all the flavor out of it and it's, mm-hmm. it's quite fruity, it's quite sweet, but you lose a bit of the texture out of it. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And in regards to like the fat when you're cutting it, do you ever do the trick um, where you take some of the fat and put it back on to keep yeah. it more moist? Is that part of it too? Totally, because the skin and the fat protect them, the, the meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you start removing that layer so that you can cut the meat and you, oh, I mean, you always leave a little bit of the fat on, on, on the slice. Yeah. Cause, cause that's flavor as well. Um, but the first layer of fat and skin rind that, that you actually get to remove, put it back on top and that'll protect the meat from rotting on the first layer. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of wish I could have one at my house, but I think my partner wouldn't be into Risky. that. <laughs> I might, I might be overloaded. Because every time you pass by, you have to cut yourself a little slice. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> so I have a, a fun question for you. Have you ever had um, an Asoarati and Bayon ham sandwich? Absolutely. Yeah, right? It is possible. Okay. Well, it's it's <laughs> got to be something you have in your fridge at all times. So a nice slice of fresh bread, a bit of Asoarati, a slice of Bayon ham, they just fit perfectly together. But I've never had this sandwich, and now I was like, since I was researching for you, I was like, oh my god, I need to make this sandwich. What am I doing with my life? You know, definitely that can even go under the grill because osoyati having a high fat content, it melts pretty well. Ooh, score! Okay, challenge yeah. accepted. It's something, it's something you can cook with, so you can grill it as well. It, I mean, originally, if you go to a, to a dairy farmer here and you go into the barn, they'll they'll always be 
between one and four legs hanging on the roof because it's it's part of the staple diet here. Um, people used to salt their dishes with little dice of ham. That's no that's way. <laughs> one of the uses here. It's actually a cooking product, which is which is why also here in the region, if you go to a supermarket, you can find thick slices of cured ham, which is something people hate everywhere else. Wow. But that's because people use it for cooking. Yeah, so it's a little, it's almost, yeah, like you're saying, it's like a salt. It's, um, it's thick as bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, a salt pork, so they could like, I don't know if they make beans with it or something like that, but... Um, it's 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 flavoring most dishes, actually, in Basque gastronomy, just like with espelette pepper, mm-hmm. Bayonheim or Soyerati, you, you, you have 75% of the dishes that we eat here on here. Awesome, awesome. And then what's the famous drink pairing to go with this? Is there a special uh, drink for this? Um... Well, the local drink is a, which actually was uh, very surprised to find in a lot of different places in uh, in the US is Chagardeau. Chagardeau is the the Basque, Basque cider. Oh, okay. Which we make with uh, a wild variety of apples. Which they're, they're very small. They're not really good to eat because they're very very sour. Got it. Got it. So, and that's they, is that the one where they shoot it in the air as well? Like it's from very high yeah. up. And so it's you, you pour it from very high up or straight out of the barrel for one reason is that because it's so low in sugar, it doesn't have bubbles naturally. It's only just fizzy. Cool. So you air it to actually get more of the bubbles into your drink. But that makes for a drink you have to drink really quickly as well because the bubbles that you create this way disappear as quickly as you've made them. Yeah. Also, it's it's kind of a messy, fun thing. Like in my experience, I'm I, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I'll just put it <laughs> let's just put it like that. I, I don't always make it to the glass. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. Cool. One way, well, one way to do it cle- cle- cleanly and properly would be to actually go for it, just like if you're pouring a, like a normal drink. If oh. you try and be gentle, that's where you spill it everywhere. Yeah, that's uh, that was my fault. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what happened. I was trying to be gentle. Doesn't work that well. Um, so I wanted to ask you one more favorite thing of mine that um, I think you showed me at Las Vegas uh, was the the covered uh, not chocolate actually the biscuits that you're selling now. Yes. What's going on with that? Why are you selling cookies? <laughs> Why are we selling cookies? Okay. Um, we, you've got to move to the south side of the Pyrenees because, as I said before, let's remember that the Basque country is not a French region. It's not a Spanish region. It's an actual country that lies across the border. So north side of the Pyrenees and south side of the Pyrenees as well. Um, the south side of the Pyrenees is a lot bigger region. It's a, it's it's got four provinces. Um, you have the the larger cities Bilbao. You have San Sebastian, and just like in every large region, you have different specialties of food throughout the territory. And south of the Pyrenees, close to San Sebastian, um, there's a tradition of uh, making almond tiles and little butter biscuit cigarillos. Mm-hmm. Okay, so part of the Agour group, um, you have the cheese category, charcuterie, and we also make sweet products. So we do make those biscuits um, in Tolosa, which is um, a city close to San Sebastian. And we also make Basque cheesecake, which is becoming a thing around the world now, now, now. People have started traveling to San Sebastian a lot and I'm starting to take that recipe back with them everywhere in Japan, Turkey, the US. Um, so we do make those types of products as well. 
Oh my goodness. I'll have to look out for the cheesecake then. <laughs> That's yeah, I'm yeah, glad it's... I'm glad you're stepping into dessert land, you know. I mean, um <laughs> the cigarellos, the the basically what they look like, a cigar cookie, sometimes covered in chocolate, sometimes not, um, has yes. been has been a favorite of mine recently. Um so uh good job <laughs> getting those <laughs> going in the US. Um Thanks. Yeah. Guillaume, I just want to say thank you for uh, coming on the show today. This was fun. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully we helped uh, some cheesemongers out there and uh, people who love a soarati know a little more about the cheese and, and now some bayon ham as well and cookies. <laughs> um, it's all good. Um, okay. Well, I just want to tell the listeners where they can follow you on Instagram. So, uh, hey, guys, please follow Guillaume on Instagram at Guillaume Dupont. And uh, you can follow Maison Agour at Maison underscore agour a-g-o-u-r and you can follow us at cutting the curd and myself at kara warren so please listen subscribe to cutting the curd via apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts also one more little reminder the acs scholarships are open for application so please visit cheesesocietyorg slash scholarship if you're interested in applying for a scholarship to this year's conference all right guys thanks and eat more cheese Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.